0: give God we thank you so much for second chances for forgiveness for repentance for being made new for being redeemed and I pray Lord as we open our eyes to your word right now father we wouldn't be closed-minded or shut off to what you want to do but God that we would open our mind to you and allow you father by your spirit through your word Speak your truth into our lives. Lord, we lay this time out before you. We ask your blessing on it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. It's on. If you're trying to find First Kings chapter 23, you will have a hard time. But if you go to First Kings 22, that's where we'll be. So either way, we're thinking about the last chapter in Kings. I think. So if you turn there with me, we got a, an opportunity tonight to look to look at a, uh, the end of Ahab. We come to the end of Ahab tonight. But I think even more than coming to the end of Ahab, we come to a story that I think has uh, ramifications for all of us. The idea simply put here in this end of Scripture is, do you want God's will? You want God's will in your life. I've been challenged this past week. Um, the Lord has, uh, has led me to a fast, and I've been really enjoying the time that I've been having with the Lord and seeking His face And one of the things that he's been uh, dealing with me with uh, as of this morning uh, was this concept of being self-centric, that we become the center of everything we do. Uh, I set my alarm in the morning based on what I need, Uh, what time I got to get up, where I got to be. That is being self-centric. The challenge to us is to choose to live lives that are Christ-centric. That means that the time I get up is not based on me. The amount of sleep I get is not based on my needs. It's based on what does the Lord have for me. You know, sometimes God would have you talk to somebody till 2 in the morning. It won't fit into your life. It won't fit into your business. And you'll be tired the next day. But do you want to do what God wants you to do? Or do you just want what you want? Do you just want what looks good to you? Because in 1 Kings chapter 22, that's what we see illustrated in the life of King Ahab. King Ahab has come to a place in his life, a time, a moment, where God is going to reveal to him two paths. All throughout Scripture we'll see it. Two paths. One to destruction, one to life. But if we are on a path being self-centric, if we are on a path... Focused on self. My needs. I got bills to pay. I got stuff to do. So the way I design my life and my day is to meet my needs. If I'm self-centric, I am on the path to destruction. Even though it sounds so good. And everybody will tell you what a good person you're being. Because you're focused on doing those right things. And I'm not saying those things are wrong. I'm just saying your priorities are. If your priority is that, Jesus said, unless we love him more than every single thing in our life, we are not worthy of him. Unless he is foremost. And when we have a clear understanding of redemption of 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 reconciliation with God, of forgiveness of his mercy and of his grace, then that's natural. <clears throat> Those of us whom God saved out of the gutter, we don't have a hard time loving the Lord. Those of us who think we're relatively good and we've got it all together, we may have (coughs) excuse me more of a struggle with that. We we may have more difficulty with that, but the idea is here, every day, in every moment of my life, I've been challenged with that, like I said, since this morning. I have an opportunity. I'll tell you how my days go. I, 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 I will go to bed, and I'll set the alarm for whenever i got to get up that gives me enough time to get ready and take care of the things I need to take care of and, and get to the church. My day is filled with reading the Word, studying the Word, seeking the Lord. I mean, I have that all day long. And, and so my focus is based on my time getting up and my time doing all the things I do is based wholly and completely on how my schedule the next morning fits. And God busted me on it this morning. Now, since uh, since I began the, this fast that I've been doing, I've been getting up, seeking the Lord in the morning. I've been doing something I, I had not been consistent at in the past, and that is getting up bright and early, spending time with my wife and me and the Lord, spending time in prayer, seeking God's face before anything else happens in a day. And the funny thing is, the thing that really made it that the thing that really made it, not made it, but the thing that really made that possible was a puppy. Can you imagine that? Because them boogers get up at zero dark 30. And when I got that dog, Kathy said, when that dog has to go out, I'm not taking it. So when that dog starts with whining at 4.30 or 5 in the morning, I know it's potty break. So I got to get up and I get dressed and I go. And of course, I'd love to tell you that when I take the puppy outside and I put him in the snow, he just goes instantly and I bring him right back in. But you know better than that, don't you? I go stand out there with the puppy and he runs around, plays in the snow and eats the snow and chases uh, uh, the cat, usually, around in the yard and does all this. And then he finally remembers, oh yeah, I'm out here to go to the bathroom. Meanwhile, I'm turning into a a human uh, popsicle. So I make sure I'm all bundled up. Well, by the time I come in, I'm up. I'm up. And uh, you know, as as me and a group of guys have been seeking the Lord for uh, the men's retreat and for the awakening, the Lord led us to uh, to as the Lord would guide each of us to go before the Lord in a time of prayer and fasting. And so God's been doing incredible things. Incredible things have been going on. I've been really blessed. Um, um, excited about where it's all going to go and how it's all going to end. But, but um, through it, there have been some challenges. Remember, we studied through the Old Testament, and we remember the life of the children of Israel in the wilderness was centered around God. When they camped, who did they camp around? God. When they broke camp, why did they break camp? Because God told them to move. Wherever they went, where did they go? They went wherever God led them, right? We sing songs like, where you go, I'll go. Who you love, I love. I will follow you. I'll go wherever you want me to go. We sing those songs. Do we mean it? Do we mean that that if God was to tell us something that doesn't fit in our life, that we would be obedient to what God is is telling us? And then sometimes we challenge ourselves. and We say, well, how will I know that that's God's voice? And I would say one of the ways that you'll know is by learning to be obedient and walking in the Spirit. And as we are obedient and walking in the Spirit, we recognize God's voice. you got some things to fall back on. It will always line up with His Word. There won't be a new revelation that goes against God's Word. It will fit within God's Word. So we, we want to be men and women like the old children of Israel, where God was center. The... the Worship of the Lord was central. They all went to one place and worshiped the Lord. When they came to the promised land, and when they started getting the things that they longed for, when they started getting the, their dreams fulfilled, you see them stopping making Christ central. And they become central. In God's law, He told the children of Israel, I want you to give the land rest. Rest. Every sixth year, I'll give you double. On the seventh year, don't plant. Let the, let the land lie fallow. Just leave it be. Give it rest. I'll take care of you. And in the sixth year, God took care of them. They got double. But you know what? I can finally get ahead. I've just been barely making it now. But if I worked that seventh year, well, what just happened? I moved from being Christ-centered to self-centered. The children of Israel never kept the Sabbath year the whole time they were in the land. They stopped going to worship God. They began worshiping all kinds of other things, Baal, Asherah, money, sex, and power, if you want to put them in today's language. They started worshiping things that made them happy. They started to tell each other things like, follow your heart. They started to... To say you can be happy. In fact, you being happy should be one of the most important things that you're focused on. All of those things move us from being Christ-centered to self-centered. Eventually, we studied it. The, The nations split. And the northern kingdom, whom we've been studying for the past several chapters... Did not have one good king. Every king in rebellion against the Lord. Every king self-centered. And we come to the king. The end of the worst king they had. Ahab. The one who did more wickedness than anybody else. And we see, here's what you see. Even in the, in the worst king in the northern kingdom is God reaching out to him over and, over and over and over and over and over again. Reaching out his hands to offer salvation. Reaching out his hands to tell him, you have a choice. Reaching out his hands to say, you can still come to me until today. When for the last time, Ahab will slap the hands of God away and do nothing. What he wants to do. Proverbs says there is a way that seems right to a man. Where does that way go? Destruction. Death every time. But if we choose to center our lives on Christ. Why is my week scheduled the way it is? What am I doing each and every night? If I say, you know what, I've just been running too much, and I need more sleep, what am I? I'm self-centered. I'm focused on me. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, seek ye first what? The kingdom of God. He say, seek ye first a good night's sleep. Did he say, seek ye first all kinds of, ha-. did he say, seek ye first a better paying job? He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And then what's he say? And all these things. What's all mean? All. Is there something that's not listed in all? Now even if we go back into the context, the context of that chapter is all the things that the Gentiles long for, their clothes, their food, their sustenance, the things they need. He says, all these things will be added unto you. But I got it backwards for a long time in my life, and I focused myself on the kingdom of Jackie. Because there were certain goals I had in life. Like I had to have a house at a certain time. And I had to make a certain amount of money by a certain amount of time. Or I was not a successful person. And I was serving the God of the American dream. I was focused on self. It's radically different to be focused on God. To ask the Lord, when do you want me to get up? Sometimes the Lord tells me to get up at 1230. Uh, Sometimes I just barely went to bed. But it doesn't make any difference. Because I want my life to be centered on Him. And you know what? No matter how little or how much sleep I was able to get, God gives me what I need that day to be and do what I need to do. Well, some people might say, Jackie, that's easy for you. You're in a ministry. You don't have to go work hard. Man, do you think I always was here? I wasn't born in the church. I worked what people call real jobs. (laughs) I worked them. I worked long enough to put, I could put anybody, I could match hour to hour with anybody. But when I was doing all that, when I was chasing all those things. I did it for me. I did it so I could keep the boats and the cars and the new house. I did it so that the people around me would say, Hey, Jackie he works hard. Look what all he's got. Because that's how you keep score, right? The bottom line in the checkbook, that's the score. Or the amount of trucks you have or the amount of land you have or... What you brought in last harvest, is that how we keep score? That's a lousy way to keep score. I learned the best way to keep score is, what have I done for the Lord today? All that other stuff not going to last. You know, I painted the airport at San Diego, the San Diego airport, every month for probably five or six years. Every single month, we go out to San Diego airport at like midnight and we'd run out when the planes weren't coming in and we would paint painting the the runway and then they'd call us airplane coming in and you have to get off the runway when that happens bad things happen if you don't do that so <clears throat> we'd run off the runway get off on the side and the plane would land and then we'd did you know what that it never lasted I haven't I haven't been striping for gosh I don't even know forever long time since I've been doing that But you know what? I bet somebody's been painting that airport every month since I left. And they'll continue to paint it every month. Where does it get you? You don't get anywhere. But what about if you sit with an eight year old girl and you and you lead her to Christ? Does that last? What about if you if you see somebody that looks like they're having a bad day at Walmart and you stop and you say, Can I pray with you? And you pray with them. Does that last? Jesus said the things for him and for his kingdom, they have last. They last. They're not, they're not just something that, that has no value. In the end, just chasing zeros and seeing who will pay you more to do what thing. That's where Ahab is, guys. In, in chapter 22, in chapter 20, he, God gave him a victory over Syria. And Ahab chose to let the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, go. And Ben-Hadad promised to give him Ramath gilead He promised to give him this city that we're going to talk about. So look at 22 verse 1. So three years have passed without war between Syria and Israel. There had been no war. They promised peace. Israel stuck by it. The promise from Syria was to give them back the land that they had taken. But it says in verse 2, And it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat... The king of Judah went down to visit the king of Israel. Now Jehoshaphat is from the southern kingdom. He's from Judah. Jehoshaphat's a good king, a godly man. He's torn down the idols. He's turned the hearts of the people back toward the Lord. He's done all these things. He's brought revival to the southern kingdom. But he's meeting with Ahab. Seems a little weird, doesn't it? That's because his oldest boy, I think his name's Jehoram, married Ahab's daughter. And now Ahab and Jehoshaphat are in-laws. So maybe he's visiting his son, or maybe, maybe for whatever reason he's there in Ahab's kingdom. And so Ahab, when Jehoshaphat, when Jehoshaphat is with him, this is what he says in verse 3, And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth Gilead is ours, but we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. He's saying, Remember, back in chapter 20, the king of Syria said, I'm going to give it to you. Because you're not killing me. Remember they slaughtered the army. He was alone left. The whole army is destroyed. And, and Ahab let him go. But he hasn't given him the land. And God through a prophet said. Listen. Because you didn't wipe out Syria. When you had the chance. Syria is going to wipe you out. Now stop. Before you start worrying about. The, the blood and guts of the Old Testament. I want you to think of this. What if we said. Syria is a picture of self. And what if I said, Ahab is a picture of any one of us, is the king, is the choo- the one who chooses the rule of our life. And we have an opportunity to mortify self. That's what Paul said. Paul tells us to mortify the flesh. Means give it no voice, no life, no choice, no nothing. Obliterate, gone, flesh over. But when Ahab had the, the opportunity to to wipe out that whole problem he let a little flesh live he let a little bit of of self exist and now 3 years later it's sticking its head up again but well, this time's going to be different this time's not going to be the same so Ahab is has got this battle now i'm just saying it really Kingdom of Syria, God's going to utilize them and, and this, these battles really happen and I'm not even saying this is the type what Syria is in the Bible I'm just saying I want you to imagine it this way because when we study the word of God we need to understand in the Old Testament it's all about application spiritually to your life and mine none of us are living in Israel anymore none of us need to understand that history what we need to understand is what the story behind that history is telling us Ahab had a chance Saul did the same thing against the Amalekites, you remember? The Lord said, utterly wipe out the Amalekites. What did Saul do? He saved all the sheep and the oxen and all that stuff. And he saved somebody else. You remember who he was? His name was Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And later on, Saul is going to be killed by an Agagite. Or an Amalekite. What that tells us is the man who killed Saul in the end was somehow related to Agag. We don't know how long Saul had Agag. We assume that he had him for a day or two before Samuel came, but that's probably unlikely. Who knows how long he had him in captivity. He possibly could have fathered a child. That child could have grown and been on the field of battle the day that Saul died. And when Saul fell on his sword and was laying there just getting ready to breathe his last, he walks up on Saul, maybe just enough to whisper into his ear. You didn't kill my dad, but you destroyed my people, and I'm taking your crown. And he took that crown to David. didn't turn out like he thought. Saul had an opportunity to do the same thing that Ahab did, but he he didn't do it. And in his life, what happened? Agag, the Amalekites, who are a picture of the flesh, did what? Destroyed him. If we don't mortify the flesh... If we don't stop the attitude of self-centeredness in our life, then self will rule. And that will be who you live your life for. And in the end, you still may stand before Almighty God. You still may stand before Jesus Christ. You still may enter into His presence. You still may arrive through the heavenly gates. But that may be all. And then there's that scary verse in the Bible, right? You remember the scary verse? Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, and I will say, Depart from me, for I never knew you. Who is on the throne of my life, who is on the throne of your life, matters a great deal. When Christ is on the throne, then we know, right? So why not live where we know? But if self is on the throne... Self becomes that which I worship. Self becomes my focus. And that's where we see Ahab at tonight. It says, so Jehoshaphat said to him, or so he said to Jehoshaphat in verse 4, Will you go with me to fight at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are. My people are your people. My horses are your horses. So he says, I'm with you. But then, look at verse 5. In verse 5 he says, So Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire for the word of the Lord. Today. Now, unfortunately, Jehoshaphat has it backwards. Okay, Jehoshaphat makes up his mind that he's with Ahab. And then he asks Ahab to seek counsel from the Lord. We ought to flip that. Before I decide I'm with Ahab, the most wicked king to ever walk on the face of the earth, before I decide whose side I'm on, perhaps I should seek the counsel of the Lord. Then, Lord, where do you want me to go? Lord, how, what would you have me do in this situation? Well, Jehoshaphat asked him. Now, you remember about Ahab? What did they do to all the real prophets? They killed them. They slaughtered all the real prophets. When they, when, when Jeroboam created the new religion in the Northern Kingdom, you remember they mixed up worship of Jehovah or Yahweh with calf worship. You remember? They put the golden calves up and he started going around and just saying anybody could be a priest. And going around saying just anybody could be a prophet. Didn't have nothing to do with whether or not they actually talked to God. So when we come to this section, we see Jehoshaphat saying inquire of the Lord. Now typically you would inquire of the Lord either through the high priest, which they don't have in the northern kingdom, or a prophet. So look what he does. The king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men. Wow, that's a lot of prophets for a place that doesn't have any prophets anymore, isn't it? He gathered 400 prophets together, and he said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. Now I want you to notice something in your Bibles. If you'll look in your Bibles at the word that they use for Lord. It should be capitalized, but lowercase, L-O-R-D. Not all caps, just one capital letter. That means they use a generic term for Lord. It's like saying boss or, or master. It can refer to any God. They didn't use the term Yahweh. They didn't use the term Yehovah. Later on they will, but they didn't as they prophesied. So it's a very generic term. It tends to help us understand who these guys are. When we look at verse 22, uh, in verse 22 the prophets are called his prophets or Ahab's prophets. In verse 23 the prophets are called these prophets of yours. That tells us that these weren't God's prophets. These aren't God's guys. These are Ahab's. These are Ahab's guys because Ahab likes to, to pile up for himself people who will scratch what? Is itching ears, right? What's the Bible tell us what happened in the last days on earth? In the last days on earth, people will no longer endure sound doctrine or the solid teaching of the word. In fact, they'll go so far as to make teaching the Bible illegal. You think, oh, come on. Well, it already is in Canada. You cannot teach the Bible in Canada. You cannot do it. You cannot teach Romans 1, 2, or 3. You cannot teach Leviticus. You cannot teach sections of the scripture because if you did, you are guilty of a hate crime. Now you really think we're that far off of that? I watch the news and I don't think we're that far off. I don't think we're that far away from those things being a problem in the United States either. So what will people do when they no longer want to endure sound doctrine? The Bible says they will give themselves people who tell them what they want to hear. That's called the liberal church today. The liberal church won't tell you that you're a sinner. The liberal church won't talk to you about the fact that Jesus is God. They don't want to uh, alienate anybody. They want to welcome everybody. They don't want to tell anybody the truth of what God's word teaches. Ahab does the same thing. Now I don't want to hear, who was the prophet around Ahab? you remember his name? Elijah. He's kind of a popular guy. So if you wanted to hear the word of the Lord, who would Ahab call? Elijah. Hey, Elijah. But you're not going to call Elijah, because Elijah would call him a dirtbag, lousy, good-for-nothing sinner, who has not completely repented, and turned his heart toward the Lord. But he doesn't want to hear that, so he piles up for himself people who will tell him how great he is. Reminds me of... Not just our president, but every president who has ever sat in the Oval Office in the history of the world has put around himself a cabinet who will tell him what he wants to hear. You want to know why we can't get nothing done in our country? That's why we can't get nothing done in our country. Because nobody puts the right man in the right place for the job. They're more interested in who's going to support my political schemes. So nothing ever happens. Except we continue down a downward spiral. Well, he's got these guys and they say, in a generic term, like using the word God. We use, the same way we use the term God today, it's like the word Lord that they're using here. God can mean anybody, can't it? I used to say when I was a kid, I used to ask my friends, do you believe in God? You know, I'm just a kid, I don't know no different. And those kids would almost always say, yeah, I believe in God. But it kind of matters what God you believe in, though. Doesn't it? I mean, who is God to you? That, that matters. But when I was a kid, you know, when we are a child, the childish things are okay. Right? But there comes a day when we're supposed to set aside childish things. We set aside those things. Well, these guys use a generic term. God's going to deliver it to your hands. So Jehoshaphat says, I love this. Jehoshaphat says... Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? You see the word Lord in your Bible? Capital L-O-R-D. That means they used the name of God, Yahweh. The the Y-H-V-H or Y-H-W-H. Remember I told you in Hebrew, W and V are the exact same letter. No difference. So the Y-H-W-H-W slash V doesn't make any difference. Same letter. Those two letters aren't different in Hebrew. So Y-H, whatever you want to call that. H, the name of God, Jehovah, Yahweh, his name. <clears throat> so he says, is there not a prophet of Jehovah? Is there not a prophet of Yahweh? Is there not a prophet, a true prophet here? He's saying, your 400 guys are a joke. Is there a real prophet? Look what happened. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, well, there's still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the, look to the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, but what's the next phrase? But I hate him. Wow, you can tell a lot about a man by who his enemies are, can't you? His enemy is the only true prophet in the land. Now, that means Elijah is out somewhere right now training Elisha. We'll see him next week in Second Kings chapter 1 as, he, as, he almost, as he's coming to the close of his ministry. Where the Lord's going to take him into heaven. But Micaiah... He apparently was a prophet who had brought the word of the Lord to Ahab. Ahab didn't like it, and he put him, can anybody guess, in prison. Yeah, that's why Ahab says there is one, because he's got him in prison. So it's easy to get to him. What he says is, I hate him, I hate this guy. Why? Because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. He does not scratch my itching ears he keeps telling me i'm a sinner he keeps telling me i need to repent he keeps telling me that i need to return to the one true god he keeps saying all these things to me and i hate him for it isn't that how some people respond does it absolve us of the responsibility to go and tell does it absolve us of the responsibility to make disciples of all men if somebody don't want to hear jesus said kick the dust off your feet and go to the next person Lift that person up in prayer every night that God will soften his heart. Well, this is what Micaiah had been doing to Ahab, and Ahab hated him for it. So Jehoshaphat said to him, let not the king say such things. He's saying, hey, hey, hey. Man, you can't hate the prophet of the Lord God. Go get him anyway. Well, look what happens. The king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah, quickly. Go get that scoundrel, that dirty dog down in the the prison. I know he's going to come up here and say some The Lord hath said garbage and tell me what a loser I am. But anyways, go ahead and go get him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, put on their robes. And each sat in his throne at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before him. I want you to picture 400 prophets are prophesying before him. They're in the gates of the city. So every ancient city in that day was built on a series of 90 degree turns that entered into the walls that becomes what's known as the gate. The reason there are a series of 90 degree turns is because you never built a city like they do in the movies where you open the drawbridge and everybody just comes in. Because that's bad. If an army's attacking you and they get through the drawbridge, everybody comes in. That's never how they did it. They built it on probably at least two 90 degree turns coming into the city. So that if that one fell, they could stop them at the next corner or at the next corner. They had an opportunity to still defend. In the midst of those 90 degree turns was often a broad space where the chief people of the city would sit. They would sit in that city and they would judge the problems of that city. If two people had a problem with each other, they'd come to the gate. And they'd talk to the king or whoever was was there in in, uh, responsibility for the king at that time. So here, sitting at the gates, we have on one side, sitting in one throne, you have Ahab. On the other side, you have Jehoshaphat. You have a man who's in rebellion against God his whole life. You have a man who's served God his whole life. Somehow, they're brought together through the marriage of their kids. They're in the same place. And one of them really cares about what God has to say. The other one don't care. He don't care. He's made up his mind. He's going to go to Ramoth Gilead no matter what happens. So he's got his mind made up. He don't believe God has any control over him. His life is his life and he'll live it how he wants to live it. So, scripture tells us, the messenger, or the prophets prophesied. Here's what they said. Now Zedekiah, the son of Chenaah, had made horns of iron for himself. And he said, thus says the Lord. Now there he uses the covenantal name of God. So he didn't appreciate probably being called out by Jehoshaphat, that these guys aren't for real, and give me a real prophet. Because when he says, he says, aren't there any real prophets of Yahweh? He doesn't say the Lord. It's not generic in the Hebrew. It's exact what he says. So now all of a sudden, Zedekiah is going to prophesy according to the Lord. Thus says the Lord, with these you will gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. So nothing's changed. They still prophesy the same thing. It's getting a little more showy. Zedekiah is kind of building things up. And now Zedekiah is assuming to speak for Almighty God, which, by the way, is a very dangerous place to be if God hasn't really said. Always get nervous. I even get nervous when I say things like, the Lord told me or the Lord spoke to my heart, unless I really know that the Lord spoke to me and the Lord talks to me. Because I don't want to put words in God's mouth this guy is putting words in God's mouth that God says he's going to deliver the people so verse 13 the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke with him and said now listen Micaiah the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king please let your word be the word of one of them and speak encouragement Micaiah don't make waves everybody is for this everybody is on board Put yourself in that situation as Micaiah. Whatever the situation might be. Maybe it's not going to war. Maybe it's just something as simple as a a building project at your local church. And everybody's behind it. Everybody's for it. Everybody's on board. And the people say, don't make waves. Don't argue. just, Just let it go. Are you willing... To be Christ-centric or self-centric. Will you do what makes life easy? Or will you do what God wants you to do? Will you speak even if God has not told you it's okay? Are you willing to stand? I'm thankful. I never want... I'm thankful for the board of elders that I have today. Because I have a board of elders who are not afraid to say no. I don't need six guys who will do whatever I want to do. I need six guys who will say, uh, yeah, let's pray. I'm not okay with that. Been a number of times. We don't do nothing unless everybody is on. If not everybody's on, it don't happen. We don't move. We won't go. The same Holy Spirit that will speak to me will speak to them. And it's a check and balance for me, for my heart. To say, am I on task? Am I in the right place? If I go before the board and they shut it down. then we pray. And we pray. And there have been sometimes. I was pretty sure that a, a direction was the Lord's direction. And, and at least in, in one or two meetings, they weren't so sure. But we don't do nothing until we all, after our times of prayer, after seeking the Lord, we come together and say, yep, yeah, this is what God wants us to do. That's the kind of people you want around you. Not yes men. When I coached football, I was always looking for people who knew more than I did. I'm not worried about whose name's in the paper and who gets all the credit. That's not important. The important thing is, how do you best put out or put forth your effort? You put forth your best effort by having people better than you around you. You want to walk godly in a Christ-centered life? Who's around your life? People who are all self-centered or people who are focused on God? comes a time where you got to choose sides. I was in a Marine Corps one time having a little battle with... Uh, uh WM, uh, a woman Marine, I, I, I probably should have got thrown out the Marine Corps a couple hundred times for some of the things I did and said to women Marines while I was in. But me and this one woman Marine, we, we didn't see eye to eye very often. And uh, it seemed like we had made peace, and somewhere down the line we got into another scuffle. And she said to me, you got to choose what side you're on. Well, that was wise counsel. uh I don't think she liked the choice I made. But beside the point, it still is wise counsel. What side are you on? Whose are you? You belong to God or not? If that answer is yes, man, he ought to be so evident in your life that everybody's bugged by you. You are just too God-y. This This god you are God this, God that. You got too much of that God stuff. Man, I, I, I hope people would say such a thing. Too, you're too interested in what God thinks or what God cares. That's where we, we want to be. That's where we desire to be. Well, Micaiah says, you just tell him what he wants to hear. So Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that's what I'll speak. Whatever God says, that's what I'm going to do. But I hope that's our heart. Whatever God says, that's what I'm going to do. Because one day, that's going to cost you something. could even cost you your freedom one day. Will you say what God says? Well, that's what Micaiah says. So, he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth, Gilead, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the, into the hand of you, old king. Now, I don't know how Micaiah said it, but you'll know by the next verse that it was sarcastic. Right? Micaiah wasn't speaking for the Lord. He wasn't telling him what the Lord said. He just said, you're not going to listen to me anyway. Why are you asking me? You have already made up your mind. You're going to do what you're going to do. You don't really care about what God thinks or what God wants You are going to follow the advice of these other knuckleheads. How do I know that? Look at verse verse 16. So the king said to him, How many times will I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So Ahab puts on this big show for Jehoshaphat. I can guarantee you that's the first time he asked Micaiah to do that. Most of the other time he wanted to hear something good. But this time... Tell me only what the Lord says. Okay. You'd be sorry for what you asked for. Verse 17. So he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. What does that mean? Oh, King Ahab's going to die. No king. The people will be scattered. They'll return to their house in peace, but Ahab's going to die. Israel's going to be scattered. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat. He looks over to Joseph. Didn't I tell you? This guy never says anything good. He looks over and he says, Did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? But Micaiah is not done yet. Then Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. Man, this is an awesome story. Listen. Hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. And all the host of heaven standing by. How many is all the host? It's everybody, right? All the hosts of heaven. Oh, that's going to be important in a minute. All the hosts of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. Now, I believe when the Bible says all the hosts of heaven, that means all the angels are there. I don't believe that only means the good guys. I believe that means exactly what we see in Job when, we said, when it said the sons of God were parading themselves before God and the Lord looked over at Satan and said hey Satan what's been going on lately that's by the way Jackie paraphrase, but basically that's what's going on Satan's there is Satan do you know what Satan's name means the accuser well where does he have to be to accuse the brethren he's got to be where he can make accusation don't he Do you really think he's making that accusation from hell? He's not in hell yet. Nobody's in hell yet. Nobody's there. There are a group of of people awaiting judgment that are in a place called the grave. And there are a group of people in, in spirit that are in the presence of God. Two groups. That's it. Nobody's in hell. Hell, the lake of fire, does not get open until the the first two people in hell, the Bible tells us who they are. They're the Antichrist and the false prophet. They're the first two people in hell. And a thousand years later, when the judgment comes, and he opens up the gates of hell again, they're still there. So they're not annihilated. They don't cease to exist. They're eternally in a place of punishment. That's, nobody's in hell. The devil's not in hell. The devil is accusing the brethren day and night in heaven. He's sitting before God saying, can you believe what Jackie did, what Jackie said? I can't believe you would call him one of your kids. He's accusing the brethren, not just me, you, all of us. He is the accuser. That's what the name Satan means. So all the hosts of heaven are gathered together. And the Lord says, who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So the Lord says, who is going to take word to Ahab Encouraging him to go to war against Ramoth Gilead because that's where he's supposed to die. Who's going to do it? And the Bible says, the Spirit. Oh, but keep So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said, In what way? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth. Of who? His prophets. And the Lord said, You shall persuade him, and also prevail. Go and do so. As far as I'm concerned, the lying spirit that he's talking to is the father of lies. They're up there, and the Lord, for an example, lays out this story for Micaiah to tell Ahab. It's interesting. Here's the important thing God's telling him. Why? It's God's last ditch effort to reach out to him. It's God's last chance for Ahab. So Ahab, here's what's happening in heaven. I ask all the angels, who will go and draw Ahab to Ramoth Gilead where he's going to be destroyed? And one angel comes forward and says, I will be a lying spirit and I will lie through his prophets. It sounds like the exact same language that Satan has in regard to what he's going to do against Job. Well, you give me Job, and I'll, uh, if, I, if you let me flesh for flesh, let me touch his flesh, and he'll curse you to your face and die. And God says, go. In this case, same thing. God says, go. And then the Lord says more, you shall persuade him. He's going to listen to you. He's not going to listen to me. Even though right now, God's prophet is telling him the whole story. It's kind of amazing. And the Lord said, you will persuade him, go and do so. Therefore, look. This is Micaiah. Picture him pointing at all those prophets. Therefore, look. The Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours. They're all lying to you. If you go to Ramoth Gilead, you will die. That's God's prophet speaking. It's not God who told the lie, it's God who's telling him about the lie. He's letting him know. You know that second or 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2 says that in those days there will be a falling away, but that falling away will not come until uh, uh or that falling away, that falling away is going to be caused by the great lie, the deception. The deception. What's the, the Lord tells us about the deception before it happens? He's going to allow Satan to cast that deception, but it doesn't make any difference. Those who don't love the truth will grab a hold of any lie they can hold on to. You know how I know? Look at the crazy religions people follow. Look at them. Craziness. We live in in, in the center of one of the most crazy, I think absolutely no archaeological evidence absolutely no kind of proof whatsoever yet they'll, they'll put their eternal souls in the hands of a, of a prophet from long ago but he's a lying prophet you know if you don't love the truth you'll take hold of anything because it'll let you do what you want to do it'll, it'll be speaking the words to your itching ears So, the Lord has declared disaster against you. Now Zedekiah, the son of Chanaah, went near him and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way did the Spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? So Zedekiah, you know, the dude who put the horns on his head and ran around and said, God's going to give you victory. Zedekiah punches him and says, How could the Spirit of God have left me and gone into you? That's basically what he's saying. The Spirit of God is in me, not in you. The Spirit of God is in these 400, not in you. (laughs) Well, there's one test, isn't there? Remember what the test of a true prophet is? He's never wrong. If he's ever wrong, he's not God's. So? Micaiah said, indeed, you shall see on that day... When you go into an inner chamber to hide. That's his uh, word to Zedekiah. The scripture never tells us what happens to Zedekiah. But Micaiah looking into the future of Zedekiah says. You'll know the truth when you're hiding in an inner chamber one day. So sometime during all this. The the chaos that ensues. And the crowning of the next king. Sooner or later one day Zedekiah is going to be in an inner chamber. And he's going to remember this. And then he'll know. We don't ever know what Zedekiah does, what his choices are. But it says, the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah, return him to him on the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, put this fellow in prison, and feed him with the bread of affliction and the water of affliction, until I come in peace. Bread and water. Go, the bread of affliction and water of affliction means he doesn't get very much. But Micaiah said, if you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. Take heed, all you people. Listen up. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel said to, to Jehoshaphat, I'll disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now this is how I know Jehoshaphat was not the brightest bulb in the bunch. Hey, Jehoshaphat, you dress up like a king, but I'm just going to dress up like a regular soldier. How can he be so dumb to not think that he's putting a big giant target on his back? But, to Jehoshaphat's credit, he don't sweat it. Alright, do what you want to do. Whose hands was Jehoshaphat in anyway? God's. And nothing's going to happen to him, not yet. Not in this battle. This battle is Ahab's. So, the king of Syria commanded 32 captains of his chariot, saying, fight with no one, small or great, but with the king of Israel only. So we know the king of Syria is looking for the king. And the only guy that's going to be dressed like a king is? Josaphat. So, who are they going after? Josaphat. And so Ahab figures I'll be okay. They won't even know where I am. So it was when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat that they said, Surely it is the king of Israel. Therefore they turned aside to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out. And it happened when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel that they turned back from pursuing him. Now a certain man, that we don't know, drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he said to his driver of his chariot, Turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. So here he is, dressed up. Nobody knows who he is. A guy with a bow just randomly shoots an arrow into the sky. The arrow hits Ahab between the joints of his armor, and he is going to bleed out in the back of a chariot. So he tells the guy, Hey, get me out of here. And so the battle increased that day. And the king was propped up in his chariot, facing the Syrians, and died at evening. And the blood ran out from the wound onto the floor of the chariot. Seems like an interesting thing to tell us, right? Well, that's because Elijah told him that the dogs would lick up his blood. Hold on. That's not the end of the story. Then as the sun was going down, a shout went throughout his army, saying, Every man to his city, and every man to his own country. So the people of Israel were what? scattered like sheep without a shepherd because they had no master because the king was dead just exactly like god said so the king died and was brought to samaria and they buried the king in samaria then someone washed the chariot at the pool in samaria and the dogs licked up his blood while the harlots bathed according to the word of the lord that he had spoken so the dogs licked up his blood and the Harlots bathed there in the pool where they washed out the chariot of the blood of Ahab. Just like God had spoken through Elijah. And now, the rest of the acts of Ahab, all that he did, the ivory house which he built, all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab rested with his fathers, and Ahaziah his son, reigned in his place. if, If we don't... Deal with the flesh, the flesh will deal with us period if we don't if we don't understand that God is calling us to a, a christ centered life a christ centered existence that my motivation, my reason for getting up, my reason for going to bed my Everything in between, every possible point within my life that I can make about God should be about Him. Look at the lives of the disciples. When Jesus called them, what did they leave? We think God's calling us to less. He's not really calling us to leave everything. Surely He wants us to still... You don't have all our stuff. All the things that make me happy. All the stuff that I like. He may be allowing you to have those things. I'm not saying he's not. But the true test to it all is who's the center? Who's the center behind what we do and why we do it and how we do it? Jesus said... If we were to follow him, there is one little phrase we're supposed to do first. You remember what it is? It starts with deny. Deny yourself. What's the next part? Take up our cross. And then, follow me. Deny yourself. What is our purpose? And we all get caught being self-centered at times, don't we? Thus be honest. But when God was reaching out to Ahab, what would have saved Ahab's life? How about repentance? How about saying, "Lord, forgive me, God, I'm wrong. Help me get on the right path. I have been remiss in the way I've lived my life. Don't we all have that opportunity every single day? What made David a man of singleness of heart to be called the man after God's own heart? What made him? That he never sinned, that he never failed, that he never struggled, or that God was sinner. That the Lord was his life. It was the songs he sang. It was the stories he told. It was the battles he fought. It was everything doesn't mean he never messed up doesn't mean he never sinned doesn't mean he never fell but when he did what did he do? he came right back to the center Lord forgive me against you and you only have I sinned Create in me a clean heart O oh God do your work in me this is the call of God I believe th- throughout the Old Testament in so many places and it's a challenging call I think it's a challenging call And we look at it and we think, man, if you really lived your life like that, you would be so radical. Well, is it supposed to be radical or is it supposed to be normal? We think it's radical. I don't know. This is what I do know the world has yet to see what can be accomplished by a man or woman who is wholly sold out to him. And if there's ever a time when God is looking for a champion to stand in the gap in a nation that is crumbling from the inside out, it is now. No guarantee for tomorrow. It is now. Some of the people we'll meet tomorrow won't see the next day. Will you tell them? Will you be that light? Will you make Christ the center? And I think part of the ability to do that is being able to be overwhelmed with Him, overwhelmed with who God is, overwhelmed with what God's done. Overwhelmed with the power of His Spirit. Overwhelmed by the power of His Word. Overwhelmed by all that there is about God and recognizing that all this other stuff I'm trying to fill my life with or plug into the emptiness within me is not meeting or doing the job. And I need Him. All of them. And that's what He wants. Not just a part of your heart, not just a part of your life. He wants it all. Remember what all means? That's all of it, right? No other place, no other corners, no other things. Utter, complete surrender. And I think you'll find all those things we worry about, He'll guide us and lead us. They'll be handled. They won't have to be our focus. They may have to be the things we do, but they, may, they won't have to be our focus. Our focus can still be the Lord. Amen. Amen? Would you stand with me and let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time we can study your word. We thank you for the focus we can have directed towards you, God. And we ask, Lord, that we would make a decision, a choice. I, for one, God, do not want to be centered on self anymore. I don't want to wake up in the morning with a concept about what I have to do. I don't want to go to bed at night thinking about what I have done. I don't want to do anything like say the things about how tired I am. Or how hungry I am. Or how frustrated I am. What I want to be focused on is you, God, and what you would have me do. That I want to be presented to you as a tool in the Master's hand ready for use. Here I am, God, use me. Paul said, I am already being poured out as a drink offering unto the Lord. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I want to be able to say those words, God. I want to be able to say the words that says, I, I have given myself, my all, my whole, everything I am for you. And I don't think in the end, like your word declares, that I'll be disappointed. I think in the end, I'll hear the words I want to hear so desperately. Well done, good and faithful servant. So, God, I pray. I pray for myself. I pray for my brothers and sisters here tonight that we would make that decision. I'm all in. Every jot, every tittle, every part, every piece. I'm committed. I'm submitted. And I want to see you rule and reign in my life in every possible place. And if there's a place in my life that that you're not welcome, then God, I give you permission. Clean it out. Make it. Show me. Show me. So that I can get rid of that junk or that garbage or whatever it is that separates me from you. you, Because I want all of you. And I pray, Lord, But that's what we want. All of you. So God move. So God do. In Jesus name. Amen. We're going to close out in a word of worship. I invite you guys to hang out and worship with us. Uh, We're also going to hang out in the foyer. So I look forward to seeing you guys out there. If anybody has any questions or would like prayer after. I'll be available. God bless you guys. And go in peace.
1: Seems see spin in a heavenly dance, oh God, all that you are, so overwhelming. And I hear the sound of your voice, all at once is gentle, thundering noise, oh God, all that you are. Move, no, no, no.
0: jesus we uh we desire to see you know you more and more each and every day god just break into our world break into our life show yourself to be real and powerful and almighty lord jesus as we desire to just experience you, you in 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 greater and greater degree lord we just ask that you would move in our lives on our behalf lord we look to you in jesus name we pray amen